At some point, we all face really confusing situations. And because of our experiences so far, we can't see what's really going on. Then all of a sudden, there is an encounter. Something crazy only God could explain. We have a light bulb moment, and we can finally see things clearly. These insights can significantly change our life direction. What if you could learn from somebody else's light bulb moment? My insight could be your insight. Significant life, God-inspired moments that can change a life. So I'm sharing a bit about my life. Um, I'm going to talk about some pretty blunt things. Um, and I, I want to encourage you to just really listen to the Lord. Um, I know we say that in church all the time, but I really want to encourage you. Um, when, I'm, when I'm speaking about some pretty raw realities in life, I just really encourage you, man, just be just listening to Jesus. Um, what is he saying to you about these? Um, and I strongly want to encourage you, if there's anything I talk about tonight that you're just like, hello, um, you need to come and pray with someone, right? Um, you need to come and talk to someone afterwards. So is that all good? Yeah, cool. Okay. Hey, um, where's my magic? First slide. Come on. Whoa, too far. Messed up. So I've kind of tried to divide my life into four sections. This is the first one. Uh, messed up. I um, grew up completely stuffed, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I grew up at a camp, uh, Tortora Springs, over in Matamata. Who's been over there? Good, good times. Um, so I grew up there um, from when I was like two until I was about 17, um, 18. And I was sexually abused terribly while I was at the camp. So it was a good four or five years where there was a, a worker, which was a cunning move, so he wasn't on staff, so he could do kind of come and go and do all sorts of shady things. And um, he abused me just terribly for a long period of time. Um, later on in life, when I got some counselling to try and sort that out and a whole bunch of other crazy things that I'll talk about, um, the counsellor was like, you know, we were talking, and she's like, can you tell me what happened? And I was just like, I can't say it out loud, it's freaking me out. So she pulled out this list, and she's like, can you point to the things that happened? And I pointed to them, and she was like, whoa, it kind of doesn't get much worse than that. Um, but the crazy thing for me growing up in it is you just assume that's normal, right? Um, whenever we grow up in, in brokenness and hurt and weirdness, our, our brain just tries to, to think, this has got to be normal. This must be normal, you know? And, and so growing up as a young person with that reality as part of my reality was, was very confusing to me. Um, alongside it, um, I was ab abused a lot um, verbally and, and physically. I stayed with an extended family member a lot growing up, so a heck of a lot of the time. And, and this male in there was horrible. Um, the verbal abuse was that, that just put down, that constant put down, you're rubbish, you're useless, you're nothing. You're stupid, you're stupid. Just this constant, constant thing. Um, and a ton of physical abuse. So the good old punches and then the kicks while you're on the ground, lots of belt action and, and all this kind of stuff. And the, the worst thing for me was that, that little tape recorder that got put on in my head, that I'm useless, I'm pathetic, I'm terrible, I'm blah. And it was something that I still really struggle with. And my default, my default in a speak is always, I am useless, I am pathetic, I am nothing, you know? That's just where it goes to, because I heard that for, for years and years and years. Um, and Jesus has sorted it, or sorting it, so I'm going to um, talk about that. The, the reality that this meant is that I really grew up messed up. <laughs> um, and I know some of you could tell me your story, and I'd be like, whoa, how are you alive? Um, I know mine's not as bad as a lot of people, but it really confused me as a teenager, because um, again, you just think this is normal. You just think it's normal that when you say the wrong thing and you don't even know what the wrong thing was that you said, that someone's going to whack you and kick you and belt you and <laughs> do all the other stuff. Um, the, the other side of it is um, 
a desperate realisation that I was completely messed up and bad and evil. Um, I did a lot of bad things um, through my um, early years, my teenage years, um, and I could blame all the bad stuff going on, but I'd still take responsibility for it. And so growing up at a camp is quite a confusing place because they have school holidays all the time, right? Um, school holiday camps, you know, and they tell you about Jesus and stuff. So I went to like every camp in the history of camps, so I'm pretty sure I've become a Christian a thousand times more than any of you, or probably all of you put together. Because um, at the end of every camp, you know, the school holiday camps, they do the telling you about Jesus, and at the end they're like, if you want to accept Jesus, you know, come forward. I'm like sprinting forward every time, you know, um, because I just knew, man, I'm so messed up. Um, but the thing that really confused me um, when I was a, a younger teenager was this just didn't work. <laughs> I'd go forward every time and say the prayer and the little booklet and blah, 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 but I still felt like broken, do you know? I still felt dirty and ah, all that stuff. Um, and looking back to that old now, I'm like, well, duh, it's because there was bad stuff going on all that time. But as a young teenager, I just couldn't reconcile, and this is the biggest thing for me, I couldn't reconcile the message of Christianity with the reality of Christianity, what I was seeing. Does that make sense? I'm hearing God is a God of love and power and strength, and I'm going, <laughs> not seeing much of that. God is love, power, strength, because look what he's letting happen to me. Um, the Christian worker, he's a Christian, but he's abusing me sexually. Um, this Christian extended family member is just, evil <laughs> but he's a Christian and you're telling me that God love it just didn't make sense um, I remember in my later teenage years and um, the biggest confusion for me was and it's something we talk about all the time how can a good God allow bad things to happen to good people right you've heard that heaps of times um, but for me and I'm sure for a lot of you we personalize it and so for me it was how can a good God allow such evil to happen to me <laughs> where was God when this was happening what was he doing just playing cards with Jesus in heaven, having coffee, I don't know, because he certainly didn't feel like he was in my reality. Um, and, and I grew up with this just, a real confusion. I'm here in this God, but the God I'm experiencing, through his people, a lot of it, um, is just not working for me. Um, just not working for me. Um, looking back at that time now, th there's a verse that I just really love. Um, this is my wife's favorite psalm. You keep track of all my sorrows. This is God um, talking about God. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Um, now as an adult looking back, I realize that God was with me in that journey, that God was weeping with the horrible things that were happening to me, the horrible things that have happened to you. Um, God was not silent. God was not impotent in that. <laughs> um, he was there, and he was strengthening and supporting and trying to protect and... <laughs> One of the biggest things I, I wrestled with for, for years was, where was God? But one of the biggest realities I cling to now is, oh my God. I don't mean that, sorry, I mean that rudely. I'm meaning that, oh my God. Imagine what could have happened to me if God wasn't watching over me and caring for me. Um, there was some, I won't tell you the details, but there were some things that happened that I look back now and I'm like, man, how did that not turn really, really bad? Like scary life and death bad. And I'm just like, man, I, I just really believe it was the creator of the universe who loves me, who loves you more than you'll ever understand, stopping the evil from going so far and protecting me in some way. And I just go, oh my goodness. I love this verse, eh? Um, it shows that God weeps with us. It shows that God is not this God hanging out in heaven just doing God stuff. He is a God that is involved in our journey. He is a God who hates our pain and our hardship and our suffering and it breaks his heart as much as it breaks ours more. Um, you've collected my tears in your, in your bottle 
You've recorded each one in your book. I just, I just love being real personal. I'm going to be real, pretty raw tonight. Man, it just blows my brains that the creator of the universe was recording all these hurts. And the number of times I just cried out going, what the heck is this going? You know, and God's like, yeah, I'm with you, man. Um, the, the verse that, that I go to all the time, this is quite a feminine verse, so if you're a masculine man, just kind of, I don't know, punch someone afterwards and you'll get your masculinity back. Um, <laughs> But this verse, I just love this verse, eh? and, and this is one I really hold on to, thinking back to those days. Um, it's talking about God as this God of just love and care. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He'll carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He'll gently lead the mother sheep with, with the young. Um, and, and again, I'm being all personal, so whatever. It's that little, the middle lines. He'll carry the lambs in his arms. He'll hold them close to his heart. I can still remember heaps of the beatings as if they happened this morning, you know. I can remember a lot of the other abuse as if, it, you know, just recent. And to, to, I'm very visual, and to stop and go, oh, the almighty creator of the universe who spoke everything into being out of nothing during that time was holding me close to his heart. I just go, man, that is such a cool reality, eh? Is that a cool reality? Yeah, I just go, what a beautiful image that God... God gives us. It's just amazing, eh? It's just amazing. Um, the next little bit is um, hypocrisy. <laughs> it's kind of, a, kind of a little weird zone in there. Um, obviously, I was seeing a lot of hypocrisy with um, Christians being horrible. <laughs> and then I saw this weird one that I've just always thought was kind of bizarre, where I was at the camp, and when you grow up at a camp, you always kind of love the camp, the buildings, um, no, not the buildings, but you know what I mean, the complex, the, the grounds, the trees. You're just like, oh, I love this place. It's so beautiful. Um, but then all these idiot Christians would come in and be really horrible to it. <laughs> um, we'd have heaps of camps, obviously, in the weekends, old church camps coming in and doing their thing. And so often, the way the people treated the staff who I looked up to, I was just like, what the heck is that? Um, the way they treated the grounds or, you know, they'd just leave the place in a mess. And it was just like, what the heck is going on? This is just really bizarre. And it and I think I use this as a bit of an excuse um, somewhat, but it just added to this, this inconsistency in the message I was hearing about God. Does that make sense? So I've got this guy being horrible, another guy being horrible, and I'm seeing a lot of... There's awesome, awesome Christians through it all. Um, but seeing Christians coming in and just being like really disrespectful and again just going, this doesn't make sense. This is a real hypocritical religion, isn't it? That we sit in church and talk about, you know, God is a God of love and blah, blah, blah. And then I'm sitting there going, yeah, kind of missing that <laughs> in the reality of life. Does it make sense, eh? Yeah. Well, it made sense to me. Bad luck if it didn't make sense to you. Um, I know we talk about it all the time in church, but um, a reality that I really cling to now is that people are watching us all the time. Yeah? People are always watching us. Um, I teach a leadership paper at Pathways College, and one of the realities I try and get the students to really grasp is that all of us are leaders. Every one of us are leaders. Every one of us in this room um, are leaders in some respect. There's always someone looking up to us. There's always someone looking to us, defining the reality on the way we interact with them and the way we interact with others. Does that make sense? So it might be a young cousin if you're younger. It might be someone you're at school with or university with, someone you work with. It could be your spouse. It could be your kids, your parents. There's always people looking at us. And a lot of it they're doing subconsciously, Right? A lot of it, they're subconsciously going, oh, yep, so that's how you deal with, that's how you, that's how you, that's how you. Um, I think a thing that scares me a lot, but I also think is very exciting, is that super cheesy Christian phrase that we say that um, for a lot of people, the only Jesus they'll ever see is you <laughs> or is me. 
Um, and for me, that was a real reality growing up. Um, who are the people that you're influencing in your sphere of life? Um, who are the people that are looking to you and defining reality and more scarily, defining Jesus Christ based on how they see you interact with them and interact with others? Um, I just think it's a good thing to wrestle with sometimes. It's a good thing to stop and think, man, who am I influencing? Who is watching me to see how I'm living out this Christian thing? Um, and again, for me, I was just seeing this, this massive inconsistency, this massive um, confusion, um, this real dichotomy of, let me tell you about this God of the Bible, but let me show you the reality of him in my life. And it was like just not, not happening. Um, I left home as soon as I could and went over to Hamilton um, and did a computer programming course and turned into a super nerd, which is pretty awesome. Um, and I was the wizard. If you think you're good, I was pretty amazing at living a very dualistic life. So I could turn up to church on Sunday with a massive hangover or very stoned and you'd never know and I would say the right Jesus things and sing the songs and do the prayer and all that kind of stuff and then go out for the rest of the week and, and be disastrous. Um, uh, horrible to look back on now and, and realise that. Um, one of the things that, and no disrespect to my friends at the time, but one of the things that, that saddens me now is that no one realised. <laughs> None of my friends ever asked the question. They must have known stuff. But no one ever had the guts um, to come and just be like, bro, <laughs> what the heck is going on with your life? Um, so I just want to call, call you out on that a bit, eh? Um, if you ever feel that the Holy Spirit is saying to you, you need to go and ask someone that hard question, and you need to go and ask them that question. Um, I know it's a scary thing to ask, and we're like, but my friendship will be on the line. It's like, yeah, but their soul might be on the line. Um, again, I don't blame my friends, but I think back now, and I'm like, man, how much hardship, how much idiot things I've done could have been saved if just one of my friends had pulled me aside and said, bro, let's go and get a Coke. <laughs> Or some fries, you know what I mean, eh? And let's talk, man. Are you good? What's going on? You know, I, I don't know. Crazy time, crazy time. Um, the next section is Jesus, um, and this is kind of a crazy, a crazy time. Uh, when I look back now, I just made some unbelievable decisions in the midst of real confusion that I really see was just God going, okay, you're stuffing up your life so amazingly, it's time for me to start manoeuvring you a little bit. Um, I was doing a lot of stupid things, and I literally woke up one day and thought, man, I need to check out this Christian thing for real. So I went to a Bible college um, in Auckland for a year, which all my friends who were not Christians were just like, what the heck are you doing? And I turned up there incredibly messed up, but it was just this amazing year of, um, of life change. I got married a few years after that too. Um, just... As most onto it guys say, the most incredible woman that God ever created. So bad luck, all you other women, you're like, we down here compared to my <laughs> wife. Um, and I was a disastrous husband. I look back now, I've apologised to my wife many times. I was a terrible, terrible husband. Um, I was pretty messed up still from the stuff that had happened. Um, but there was a lot of things that I did, um, said, that I'm just so embarrassed of the way I treated her, this beautiful daughter of God. And he's this idiot, just selfishness and, and horrible things. Um, 
But again, I'm, I've just got this massive confusion going in my mind all the time that I've heard this so much about God and knew so much about God, but I'm not seeing it in, in craziness. And so we decided, man, if you want to really figure out God, the best thing to do is go to America, right? That's where God lives, you know? Um, and so it was really bizarre. We had... Come on. So good, eh? Donald Trump, eh? Make America great. Um, with Sarah Palin as his running mate. That has been phenomenal. Um, and so we, we decided we wanted to study God hard out, so we decided to go to America and uh, headed over there to a, a Bible college university in Chicago um, for four years. And it was just this wild time. It was, we both grew up in a pretty conservative denomination that I won't name, <laughs> but it rhymes with Metherin. Um, <laughs> this is back in now, it's legit, but back in the day it was loony. I honestly believe... <laughs> I honestly believe that the only people getting to heaven were brethren, right? I really, well, I didn't mean to say it, metherens. Um, I really did. And I, I, look, I was talking about it with my wife um, this afternoon. I said, did you grow up with that? And she was like, oh, totally. And I was like, what the heck is that about? And now we're at this Bible college, 2,000 students, and there's students there that are so sold out for Jesus. It's just unbelievable. And, and I'm thinking, man, the only ones getting to heaven are these guys. You know, the occasional Baptist might have sneaked in the back door, but it was mainly just us. And it was just this... This real opening of my brain to realize that the, the God, and this is the key kind of parts of me, the God I grew up understanding is not God, right? The God I grew up understanding and, and seeing was not the real God that the Bible presents. And now I'm seeing these Christians live out God in a way that's just blowing my brains. Um, God's absolutely hilarious. And looking back now, the ministries that he got us involved in were just bizarre. We, every, uh, at this um, university, you have to do uh, 15 to 20 hours of ministry every week. And heaps of students do cheesy ones at like nice little white churches doing lovely things. And it's a sign by the school. You don't choose it. Um, but just because God's hilarious, he put us in the most insane ministries I've ever imagined. So um, in my wife's final year, she worked at an abortion counselling centre right downtown Chicago. Downtown Chicago's ugly. It's real bad. A lot of poverty and nasty stuff. Um, and in America back then, they had this, um, again, towards the late 90s, um, back then they had a rule that if you needed an abortion, you had to go and have one session with a, a counsellor who would just help you understand what was going to happen and the realities of it. And then if you were like, yeah, I still want it, then they'd give you a certificate and you could go and have an abortion. And she worked in there for a year just with the most horrific discussions with people, uh, horrible stuff. Um, and trying to help them see what was going to happen. It was just bizarre. I worked for a year as a phone counsellor, which is pretty legit. Um, the university ran this massive radio station that went all over America, and between 9 and 11 at night, um, people could ring in for advice and counselling. And I think I was in my third year then, so I'm like mid-20s, no idea what I'm even doing on this planet yet. And people are literally ringing in with everything from, yeah, man, I'm just working on my maths homework. <laughs> and I'd be like, bro, I got nothing for you there. I'm used to math. But a lot of real serious things. A lot of people, hey, man, so I'm planning on leaving my wife. I'm just wondering if you could give me some advice on how to make that easy on the family. And I'm like going, uh, bro, you probably should. I just was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, a lot of suicides, a lot of people would ring up. And we had codes and we'd get cops to go around and, and wrestle them, rescue them and, and, and stuff. And it was this, the beginning of a real journey for me of starting to see um, the Jesus I knew is not the real Jesus because the Jesus I knew and I understood could not help these people when they're ringing up with such massive deep things. Does that make sense? But I knew that there was a real God, a real Jesus, and I was just desperate to figure out who that was. 
Um, we worked with um, some gang kids that were all Hispanic in this really bad Hispanic area of Chicago for you, my wife and I. Um, and, and I just felt so, and I, I use this word on purpose, impotent as a Christian in dealing with them. Um, they were messed up. They were real messed up. That horrible area, just insane. And I'm there trying to play basketball with these guys and then do a little Bible study with them. And I remember just sitting there just going, oh my, I don't even know what I'm doing. I, the God I, do you know what I mean? The God I understand, I, he can't help you in this. So therefore I don't understand the real God because I know he can. And it's just, it was just horrible. And then you know, back to, to um, the college trying to wrestle with who is Jesus really and, and, and how do I understand him so that I can communicate him to, to these guys. And then just because God's hilarious, um, the year after that, and I mean that, like, I just think God's amazing. It's like we had heaps of friends who had the easiest, shiniest, little loveliest ministries. And every year when we'd get our ministry, we'd be like, what the heck is God doing here? This is insane. So, like, all right. Um, and so the, the last year, or the second to last year, I think we were um, there, he put us into one of the worst areas ever. It was a place called Central in Chicago, and it's just like the bottom of the whole of society. Um, only African-Americans, no white people basically ever go there. And we're in a ministry with these gang kids, trying to tell these gang kids about Jesus. And it was just the most insane situation where um, none of them knew their dads, obviously. Most of them didn't have mums, or they had mums, obviously, <laughs> otherwise they were just appeared miraculously, no. Um, but they didn't know who their mum was. They're being raised by grandma or auntie, goodness knows who. Um, and they were all in gangs, and that was the only way they could survive. They're all like 14, 15 at this time. And I remember having this bizarre conversation with one of the guys running the ministry one night, and he said, the thing you've got to realise with working with these guys is they have no hope. There's just no hope for them. And I was like, bro, I can't comprehend no hope. What do you mean? And he said... That their life expectancy was 16, maybe 17. If they made it to 17, it was like, oh, who would have thought? What an amazing thing. Um, and their only way out of their poverty and their horrible situation was to be in a gang and deal drugs. He said, that's the only thing they can do. And I was like, can't they get a job? And he's like, no one hires these guys. These guys are the bottom. If they went to anywhere to get a job, the person would be like, I'm not going to hire you. What? So he said, there is no hope. They have nothing. Their only dream is that they'll get in a gang and they'll work up from just being the little guy taking the drugs here and there on the street um, to getting a bit of um, importance and then be able to survive and then their dream, always falsely, is that that'll get them out and then they'll get out of this, this area called Central. Um, so again, I'm sitting there, I'm like, I don't know what I was, 26, 27 now, trying to communicate Jesus to these guys with no hope. And it was, it was just bizarre. Do you know what I mean? I was just like, ah. And I remember just kind of calling out to God a lot, going, I need to get to know who you are. Because <laughs> the God I understand now, the, the Jesus of Sunday school, you know, is not going to cut it with these guys. Um, but I know you're more than that. I know there's got to be more. I'm just not, not getting it, eh? It's not... Um, not making sense. Um, I, I think one of the biggest things that I began to understand through all this is the love that Jesus really had for me as a person. Um, again, I grew up certainly not loving myself at all. I used to cut a lot. I don't know if you've ever done that. Um, I used to be a bad cutter, and, and it was just from a, a deep, intense hatred of myself. I really hated myself, and to cut... And, and punish myself was a, such a great feeling because I deserved that kind of thing. Um, and to be trying to tell these kids and these people on the phone and that that Jesus loves them was this like, man, I've got to figure this out. Um, 
And through this time, and after this, we went to a seminary in Colorado for three years. And, and this verse is one of my favorite verses of all time. I was sharing this with my staff this week at the college. Um, Jesus is praying in John 17, and he says, um, you love them. He's talking to God. You love them, so disciples and us, as much as you love me. Um, the reality of this verse um, just melts my soul, right? Um, what this verse means is that God the Father... Um, the all-powerful being of the universe. Um, my name's Craig, right? Loves Craig as much as he loves Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. Um, when God looks at you, when God the Father looks at you, he someone who, sees someone who he loves on exactly the same level, with the same intensity, with the same desire for relationship and community and, and, and friendship and hanging outness, um, as he does when he looks at Jesus Christ. Um, I, I really don't think we can understand that because we don't get what the love is in the Trinity, right? Um, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit have been in community and communion and perfect relationship of love and support and encouragement for eternity. For, you know, there's no end, no beginning. It's for eternity, eternity, eternity. Love and comfort and, and, and joy and encouragement. And then God, when we become a Christian, invites us into that. And he says, you're not a second class person in this relationship. It's not, you know, the type three and then you're kind of out here. <laughs> He goes, now nah, come on in. That's what he says in the rest of this chapter. Come on in. Um, I love you with that same intensity as I love my son, um, Jesus Christ. And one of the things I wrestled with for a long time is how do I take that reality and make it part of my reality? We're wizards. We're the masters of sitting in church and going, oh, it's so great. Amen. Loves them as much, you know. <laughs> but then we walk out into our life and we often don't take that reality with us. Um, so one of the things I want to encourage you to do, John 17, 23, super easy to remember. A one and a seven and a two and a three equals a simple number to remember. So good. Um, I'd encourage you so much to have a look at that sometime and just, just rest in it. Rest in that. What does it mean that God the Father loves you on that same level, with that same intensity, with that same desire for relationship as he loves Jesus Christ? Man, it's just massive, eh? Um, the last little part is called pastor. Um, uh, Lived in America for seven years in the end, studying and so on, and then came back to New Zealand to pastor a um, little church over in Cambridge, which was hilarious. They'd never had a pastor before, and so people weren't quite sure what to do with the pastor. Um, my office was the, um, the creche, and so on Saturday nights, I had to take my desk and all my stuff, drag it out and drag all these cots in and blankets on the floor and stuff. And then Monday morning, I'd go back in and drag all the cots out and drag my desk back in and try and pretend to be a pastor. Um, people would come in often and be like, okay, so what do we do with you as a pastor? Do you visit us? Do we ring you? And I was kind of like, I don't really know, man. I'm just making this up as I go along. Um, because God's awesome, um, there was an older guy who was a returning missionary um, who uh, came on, on board at the same time as me to pastor, which is really good because I was this young idiot who had no idea what I was doing. And he was much older and much wiser. And there's countless times that I went to him with the most brilliant idea in the history of brilliant ideas. And he'd just be like, okay, so I have 10 reasons why we cannot do that, bro. <laughs> and I'd be like, okay, good, you're very wise. Um, it was a, a real crazy time. Um, the church grew like a weed. Um, most churches do, right? If they've never had a pastor and now there's someone there or there was two someones there who all they're doing for 40, 50 hours a week is thinking about the church and community. So the church just took off. It was just crazy. Um, but again, because <laughs> God is wild, um, he threw this massive curveball. So I had a daughter born in America whose name is Sarade. Um, 
Um, she's an American citizen, has a letter from um, Bill Clinton welcoming her to this fine United States. Go Bill Clinton, he's a man. Not sure about Hillary, but that's another discussion. Um, and we got back to New Zealand, and about a year and a half after we came back to New Zealand, my wife got postnatal depression, which then blossomed into full-on depression. So um, drugs, hospital, the whole nine yards, psychiatrists coming out our ears, adult mental health, just full-on craziness. Um, and she was really sick. There'd be months at a time now where she couldn't be at home because she just couldn't do anything. It was just really horrible. Um, the, adult, the funniest thing I remember was the adult mental health nurse would visit regularly and see how we're doing and stuff. And one day she, um, she came and, and asked me to step outside. So her and I just um, stepped outside out the back of the house. And she, the, this is the adult mental health nurse goes, hey, so when you're planning on leaving your wife, um, can you call, they have a, a cat team, an emergency team that if anything bad's happening, you call. She gives me her card and said, when you're planning on leaving your wife, can you call us and just give us the heads up? And I was like, I don't know what you mean. She was like, well, when your wife is this sick, she said 90% of the men will bail within a couple of months because you just can't handle it. And I was like, no, I'm a Christian. I'm not going to bail. And she was like, yeah, yeah, I know. You guys always say that. So again, here's my card. So when you're going to bail, we need a warning. So if you could give us a couple of hours, then we'll get a team out here. And I was just like, this is ridiculous. Um, this leads me to this significant thing. If you remember, I had been, in my early years, I'd been defining Christianity based on the Christians that I saw, right? Makes sense, eh? I was defining my Christianity based on the Christians that I saw. And, and God knew that, obviously. He wasn't, like, surprised. And so I think God allowed my wife and I, my family, to go to such a... It was a horrible time. It was a horrible time. Um, I'd visit my wife at... She'd stay at her mum's a lot of times. I'd visit her and there's just no one home. I mean, and I'd go and be like, hi, how you doing? It's nothing. Just, no, it's horrible. Um, I'm trying to pastor this church, and it's growing, like, ridiculously. Um, but I've got this really sick wife. I've got two little kids. I was just losing my brains. It was just a horrible, horrible time. Um, and so now the significance. Uh, one of my favorite miracles is the, the, um, the paralyzed guy that gets down through the roof, because it's just so hilarious. Who digs through a roof? I'm just like, this is the funniest one ever. Um, but what I love about it is that the guy desperately needed Jesus, but he couldn't get there, right? Because he's, like, paralyzed. <laughs> so his friends come along, and his, his friends go, bro, we know what you need. You need to get to Jesus, and you can't, so we'll sort it for you. Um, and, and they take him along on, on the mat. Um, the church was just insanely good at this time. Um, the elders made a big announcement and said, look, no one can visit the pastor anymore. Um, don't ring him, don't do anything, because my wife was terrified of people. If you'd visited, she'd run and hide in the backyard or hide behind a bed, or she was just terrified of people through all this. Um, and, and then all these people got, got in, I don't know, into action. <laughs> um, just normal people, eh? Um, and, and bought us meals. We had meals um, four nights a week for three years um, while my wife was sick, and... They were massive meals, <laughs> um, and they'd be amazing. Um, there was one old couple, the, the husband was retired, the wife was um, still working, and he'd start cooking at like 2 o'clock in the afternoon to cook us this amazing meal, and then she'd get home and apparently sort it, so it was actually decent. Um, and it would be always corned beef, mashed potatoes, broccoli, green beans, that amazing mustard sauce. They'd use their best china stuff, um, lay it out beautifully, little flour. It was just beautiful. And I'd often be working, and they'd come around. They knew they couldn't be there to see Joe, my wife. So they'd ring the doorbell, put it on the doorstep, run to their car and drive off. We had heaps of meals. We have no idea who bought those meals. 
Um, there was a lady that would come and just do our laundry. <laughs> and um, she'd come in, she'd sneak in, literally sneak in. Didn't want to see Joseph. She knew Joseph was in a room. She wouldn't go into that room. Get her laundry, take it home, wash it, fold it, iron it, whatever. <laughs> Bring it back. I'd come home from work. There's all our laundry done. Um, people would just come and do the garden, mow the lawns. It was just like the most amazing time. And it totally changed my understanding of Christianity. Does that make sense? It totally changed it. It was like God was saying, this is it, bro. This is Christianity. Those other idiots, not Christianity. This is Christianity. Now, the thing I loved about these significant people is it's a retired guy and his wife. That's oh, normal people who love Jesus. There's this random lady down the road whose husband had a cool job and she just loved Jesus, so she'd come around. And they weren't pastors or church lead. They were just lovely people that loved Jesus with all of them and were calling out to him saying, okay, how do you want me to serve you today? Oh, of course, laundry. I can go and do laundry. Sure. Yeah, I can go and pick up the kids and take them for a few hours and look after them so Craig can have a break. Um, the thing that humbles me so much is the most significant people um, in my life are just these really <laughs> normal, awesome people that love Jesus like crazy. Um, I just want to encourage you, A, to be listening to Jesus. Um, God talks to us all the time. He's always calling us to step out and do these little acts of faith for him. Um, Again, if you feel that prompting, man, just do it. If you see someone you can help, someone you can care for, no matter how tiny it is, man, you need to, um, you need to do that. Uh, and then I ended up at the Bible College. Long story, no one cares about it. Okay, I just want to finish with this cool verse. Um, this is my favorite verse. Uh, I got it tattooed on my arm. I love it so much. I love the Bible so much. I got Bible tattoos all over me because it's so cool. It means if I ever forget my Bible when I'm preaching at a church, I'm just like, and today's sermon will be from... <laughs> nah. Um, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Um, to be really raw and open with you, the biggest thing I've struggled my whole life is this feeling of just dirty, useless, ugly, trash feeling. Um, I've talked to a lot of people that have been abused when they were young, and, and often that's this feeling that you have that you're just rubbish, just the crud of, it's just this horrible feeling. And again, as a Christian, I was doing a good job of separating um, what God was saying about me with who I was really living as. God's saying to me, nah, man, that's not who you are. And I was like, yeah, great, thanks, but I never allowed that to be a part of who I really was. Um, I'll, I'll unpack this verse for you. Um, the thing I love so much about this is the very beginning of it, for our sake, um, for our sake. I remember I had that verse from John 17 that says that God the Father loves us, loves me, as much as he loves Jesus. Do you remember that? To me, that helps me understand this verse, right? Because this is for our sake that God killed Jesus, that God the Father sacrificed Jesus on the cross. And I go, why would he do that? It's like, oh, because he loves you as much as he loves Jesus. And I go, oh, that helps the whole crucifixion make a whole bunch more sense. If he loves me, if he cares about me, if he desires a relationship with me with the same intensity that he desires a relationship with Jesus, then I can kind of understand why he would do that. Does that make sense, eh? Um, I was talking about it with my staff this week, and it, this is not what it's saying, but this is the way I kind of think about it. It's almost like God says, I love you more than Jesus, because I'm about to harm and hurt and wound and beat my son because I love you and care about you so much and desire a relationship with you. So it's almost like he loves us more, but that's not what he's saying. But it's like, man, that, that kind of helps me understand it. So for our sake, you made him to be sin and you know sin. Um, there's a lot of stuff I've done wrong, man. <laughs> there's a lot of evil things I've done. I've had a lot of evil, horrible things done to me. 
Um, and one of the realities I love about Jesus is that he sorted all of that on the cross. Um, I don't have to walk around with a sense of guilt anymore. I need to sort some of that stuff out and do a heck of a lot of apologies. <laughs> but he's taken it. He's removed it. Um, he's removed my sin. And then that last bit, um, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Um, when God looks at me now, he sees someone who is as pure and clean and righteous and holy and beautiful as his son is. That's what it says. Um, I just really want to challenge you on that. If you don't define yourself, if you're a Christian, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and, and you don't define yourself as someone who is pure and beautiful and lovely and clean and right, then you're missing a core component of what it means to be a Christian. And we, we have to, as Christians, not allow the reality as God's defined us to stay over there. We have to take it in and wrestle with it and go, man, how do I live as someone who is as pure, and clean, and beautiful as God himself is? Do you know what I mean? Um, it took me a long time to, to really be able to speak of myself in this way, um, that I am like that. Um, but I think when you start to understand it, and you really start to understand that love that God has for you, it just changes who you are. It changes everything about you. It changes the way you live. It changes the way I treat my wife. It changes the way I run a Bible college. It changes the way I um, talk to my children. When I know that I'm good, <laughs> that I'm clean, that I'm pure, that I'm right, <laughs> that I'm lovely, that I'm beautiful. Um, I started with getting you all to high-five each other like a loon heads. Um, I want to just remind you that that is a reality. You really have absolutely no idea how much God loves you. He killed Jesus for you. He killed the second person of the Trinity who he had been in perfect community with, perfect relationship with, forever and ever. He nailed him to a cross. He took all the crud of your life and punished Jesus with it. Why? Because when he looks at you, he just goes, oh, oh man, I just love you so much. I just want to hold you close to my heart like you're a little lamb. <laughs> man. When you cry, God goes, oh my goodness, I'm so with you in that. I'm with you in that suffering and that pain. Oh, man. Let's all stand up and I'm going to praise. Whoa. Does the band want to come on up? That'd be cool. Cheers, bro. Um, I just want to encourage you to get some prayer if you need some prayer. I talked about some pretty raw things tonight. Um, yeah, if you've never talked to someone, if you've never really started to deal with it, tonight would be a great time, eh? Come talk to me, talk to one of these other legends that'll be floating around. Um, yeah, my, my final little challenge, eh? It's good to finish sermons with a little challenge. Is that all good? Yeah, bad luck, I can do it anyway. Um, this is my challenge for you, eh? And I'm, it's hard to do, and it's always dumb finishing a sermon like this, but who cares? I just want to encourage you this week, man, five minutes. Everyone hold up one hand that's got a five on it. Everyone hold up one hand. If you've lost a finger through tragedy, sorry, but that is really insensitive. Keep your hand up. Keep your hand up, five. That's it, five minutes. That's all you need, eh? John 17, 23, remember? What does 17 and 23 add up to? Wow. 
Okay, so you're all fired. 17 and 23. Easy to remember. 17 and 23. Keep your hand up. I want you to set aside this week five minutes to just read over that and read it about yourself. Put your name in there. And just rest in that reality that God loves you as much as he loves Jesus Christ. That you are beautiful and perfect. You are incredible. You are pure because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, because of God's love for you. Cool, let me pray. Yeah, God, man, we're so not worthy of your love. So many of us in this room are complete dropkicks when it comes to Christianity. I know, I totally am. Man, we're just still sinning and stuffing up all the time, which we're not as much as we used to, but man, we still just drop the, the ball all the time, but you still love us and encourage us and support us. It's just incredible. Thank you so much for the reality of who we are in Christ. We are not often who we've defined ourselves as, but we are who you define us as. Help us to live in that reality, God. We love you with all that we are. Amen.